Welcome all my favorite witches, warlocks, and lovers of murder. My name is Cola, and this is Round the Cauldron, an everything podcast, but mostly witchcraft and murder. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now go grab your coffee or tea and let's gather. Cannibal frat boy is what the media called him, and by all accounts, his crime seems to fit the name. But what happened to cause Austin Harif, a college-aged kid with absolutely no criminal background, a loving family, and seemingly normal childhood, to conduct such a gruesome murder? Come gather with me round the cauldron while I tell you the story of the cannibal frat boy killer. Welcome back, all my favorite witches and warlocks. Thank you all so much for joining me today on another episode of Round the Cauldron, a everything podcast, but mostly witchcraft and murder. I hope you've all had a beautiful week of thriving and surviving, especially in this damn fucking heat. I, for one, am a little too thicky thick for this mess, but... I definitely enjoy sitting poolside or in my hammock, listening to the sounds of nature, reading a book, whatever, without freezing my cooter off. So I'm not going to complain too much, but just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, I am really, really excited. You guys have been sending in, like, your stories, and it is so fucking cool. So, like, thank you guys for that. And thank you to those of you that have been sharing my social media posts and getting more attention to get more stories in. Like, y'all are the real-ass MVPs for sure, and I truly, truly appreciate you. Like, I'm super excited for the future episodes of Witch's Brew featuring all of you and your stories. Like, so keep them coming, keep them coming, because some of this shit is fucking hilarious, and some of it is, like, legit butthole puckering. Like, it is so fucking crazy, how much stuff we actually go through and survive. And most of us probably don't even fucking think about it, but take a second and just think about the crazy shit that's happened in your life that you have survived and fucking made it through. Like, thank you for being here. Thank you for surviving. Like, you're cool. I love you. And this is great. So it's just, it's just fucking crazy to me. But um, I got a little bit curious while I was reading some of the stories. So like I started looking different stuff up and I learned thanks to BuzzFeed, like they did an article, uh, what was it called? It was like random 17 random facts or scary facts or some shit like that. Um, But anyhow, in this like random fact article, dude, Did y'all know, like, we walk by 16 murderers in our fucking lifetime. 16 of them. Now, according to the article, a Reddit user, like, he's the one, they did the math. I don't know if it was a he or she, I'm sorry. But they they did the math 
of a person living in an average city and boom. Now I made sure to add the link in the description with the rest of my sources. So that way you guys could go read it yourself. Like, I don't know if I would get in trouble for reading the equation verbatim as it is in that article. So you guys get to go do it yourselves. But anyway, like it's really cool the way that the person like broke it the fuck down for you. And it was just kind of like, holy shit. I wonder how many murders I've actually walked next to or walked by or stood in line with, especially living in this big ass city that I live in. It was just fucking crazy. So I thought it was really cool information for you guys to share or for me to share with you guys. I'm getting a little too excited. I'm sorry. So anyway, it kind of got me thinking like thriving, surviving, different life stories, things we've been through, and it triggered a memory from when I was 13. So I have decided that I'm going to share this story with you guys because it really is kind of a scary story. Okay, there's nothing kind of scary about it. It's fucking scary. But it's crazy that I fucking went through it. I survived it. And then I didn't even think about it again for years and years. Like, that's just kind of how, I don't know, it happened. I survived. Cool. Moving along. But at the same time, I was 13. So I guess it kind of makes sense that my brain fucking worked it out the way that it did. So anyhow, I myself, like I have lived in quite a few states. Uh, I, I have a little bit of a gypsy soul and um, I kind of blame that on my parents a little bit, not in a bad way, but like my dad lived in Florida and my mom lived in Arizona. And when I was nine, uh, my dad sent me to go live with my mom in Arizona. So like that kind of started my whole travel. Ooh, I want to live everywhere kind of thing. So when I was nine, I went to go live with my mom. Um, but I had I had a little bit of a hard time adjusting to Arizona and being away from Florida and, and the rest of my family. That was all I ever knew. So when I was 13, um, my mom made and my dad made the decision that it would be best for me to go back to Florida. So that's what they decided to do. However, this time it wasn't on an airplane. This time I would be going cross country from Arizona to Florida on a Greyhound bus. Like, gasp, a Greyhound bus, you say, across the country. What the fuck? You were 13. Yeah, well, but it was the early 90s and it was a little bit of a different time back then. I mean, granted, fucked up things were happening, but parents were, they were a lot more relaxed about things because like the social media wasn't in existence and like things just weren't as in your face like they are today. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Now for me, it was a great fucking adventure. Like I thought I was the coolest fucking kid in the world. Like, you know, I grew up watching shit like the Goonies and Adventures and Babysitting. So I w it was like, I was like, fuck yeah, this is going to be my great movie moment. Like, cool shit's going to happen, guys. And, you know, I did have uh, I did have comprehension that there was evil in the world. But truth be fucking told, man, when you're a kid and you're doing shit and somebody like there's a parent nonetheless is like, hey, so this is what you're going to do. And it's it's going to be great. You're like, fuck, yeah, let's do this. At least that's how. That's how I was about it. So for me, going on a Greyhound bus really wasn't shit. Like I was like, whatever, I'm cool. I can do it. And I honestly, like, I do not remember being nervous or scared or anything at, at first, but I definitely, like, I definitely remember feeling like I was a badass and I was a grown up. So I made the decision that I wasn't going to tell a motherfucking person that I was only 13. 
Nope. I was 16 because when you are a 13 year old girl telling people that you are 16 is like, I am empowered. I am grown. It don't fucking matter. So that's what I decided to do because who, who doesn't know everything at 13, 14, 15 and 16, right? Cause I thought I did, but spoiler alert, y'all. I didn't know shit about shit. <laughs> I didn't know shit about shit. So here we go. Let's jump to the story. So here I am like, um, I'm on this shuttle to take me from Prescott, Arizona to the Phoenix bus station again with no worry or concern. And I was literally talking to any fucking buddy that would let me talk. And trust me, when I tell y'all I spun a great tale, I spun a great fucking tale. I was 16. I decided to drop out of of school because I wanted to see the world. So I saved all my money to start on this great cross country trip alone. Yeah, I let people know that I was fucking alone. Stupid, right? Now, I told you, like, I didn't know shit about shit. So for me to just openly talk, like, it didn't mean shit. Everybody was good in my book, right? So anyhow, um, I think it was like, like the second day. Like, we got from Prescott to Phoenix. I got on a Greyhound bus in Phoenix. And I'm pretty certain, like, it was the second day of the trip. Because this was a five-day fucking trip, y'all. It was a Greyhound bus, Okay five-day fucking trip. And on this, I'm pretty certain it was the second day we ended up in Dallas, Fort Worth and Dallas, Fort Worth is huge. Like it's like anytime I've ever rid gone on a plane from, um, Arizona to, or from Florida to Arizona, there's always like a crossover or a, a delay, whether it's on plane or bus in Dallas, Fort Worth, it's like the travel, travel Mecca or some shit. I don't know. But anyhow, now this bus station was fucking massive. And granted, I was a 13 year old kid, but this motherfucker was massive. And I was like, literally all alone with zero idea of what the fuck to do. I remember this is the early nineties. So it's not like I had a cell phone where I could Google shit, or I could just call my mom like, Hey, yo, what do I do? So I ended up walking up to the counter And I asked the lady working there, like, what was I supposed to be doing? And so, you know, like, at first she was like, whoa, kid, like, where's your parents? Did you run away? Like, what's going on? I'm like, no, like, my mom thinks, like, my mom's sending me back to my dad. Like, it's cool. I'm old enough. Everything's great. I've just never traveled by bus. So I don't really know what to do. And she was like, okay. So she took my ticket and she looked it over and she said, well, actually, I'm glad that you came up here because your ticket needs to be revised or something like that. Like she needed to do something to it for me to be able to get onto the next bus to finish my journey. So it was a good thing that I went up there because she was like, or, you know, you're going to end up, you would have ended up being stuck here. So let's, let's get this taken care of. Like, all right, cool, cool. We got it taken care of. And then she was like, so you've got a four hour wait before the next bus comes. But if I were you, like I would not leave the bus station. That is a really big city out there. So why don't you just go to the vending machine, get you some food, you know, go have a seat and just kind of wait for your bus. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, when I left from Prescott, my mom handed me a $20 bill and grant I was 13, but I really didn't have like a a very good understanding of how money was spent or what you, you, you know what I'm saying? And I, I did not have the, the comprehension that I could have asked somebody for change. So I walk up to the vending machines. I see it only takes ones and fives and quarters. And all I have is a 20. So boom, there was my heartbreak. Like, fuck, I can't even get any food, man. So I just went and I was sitting down and, you know, after a little while, some dude 
he came and he sat a couple seats away from me and he started talking to me. So of course, like here I am like flapping my fucking jaws, just talking away to some fucking grown man and me myself, like I'm trying to be more grown and cooler than I actually am. So here we go. Now he wasn't really like an old dude. Like I remember him kind of being like in his twenties he had dark hair, olive skin. I don't remember like what his facial features were or none of that. Just like the basic shit. But anyway, after like a long conversation, dude was like, hey, we still have a little while before the bus comes. Why don't we go stand outside and have a smoke real quick? I know. I know. You're probably all fucking screaming at me at this point. Like, don't go outside, you stupid shit. What are you doing? Yeah, well, remember, I thought I knew everything. Didn't know shit about shit, but here I am. So I make the decision to, like, go outside with this guy and try to be cool. Now, I had never smoked a cigarette before in my fucking life at this point. So I'm like, why not? It can't be too hard. <laughs> fucking wrong. So as we're walking out of the bus station, like, we walk right by that ticket booth. And Miss Ticket Lady, like, her and I make eye contact. And I just kind of smile and keep bebopping along behind this fucking guy, right? And she, you know, she gave me a look like, what the fuck? But again... She wasn't my mom. She wasn't anybody to me. She was just a bus ticket lady, so she couldn't really tell me shit. So I, she didn't say anything, but I just kept on going. I didn't want to show that I was scared or worried or nervous, so I just, you know, I kind of, I just kept following him. And I remember, like, walking out the door, like, I remember the way the hot, dry air felt on my face. And then out of nowhere, this fucking gut-dropping feeling just kind of took over. But again, I want to be gr more grown and cooler than what I am. So here I go. I had my little rose print shoulder bag over one shoulder, and I was holding my little yellow per tender stuffed cat in my other hand, walking alongside this bus station building, and out of fucking nowhere, like we didn't turn a corner or anything. We are literally walking in front of the bus station. And out of nowhere, like I felt someone grab on my bag and start trying to pull me away. And I turned to look and I'm getting pulled towards a car. And then like, honestly, for the fucking life of me, like I can't remember anything about this fucking car. I don't remember what color it was, how big it was, how small. Like, I don't remember anything. I just remember the rushing fear and the gut dropping feeling that I had. So I have somebody pulling on my bag, which I refuse to fucking let go of. And then the man I walked outside with starts like trying to push me towards this fucking car. And I'm like, at this point, I'm yelling, like, stop it. This is like, help me. Somebody fucking help me. And all these people are just kind of standing out there looking. And then all the fucking sudden, here comes Miss Bus Ticket Lady. Like, running out the fucking doors with some fucking security guards, like, hollering, like, stop, stop, you know, whatever. Well, one dude, the dude that was pulling my bag, like, he jumped in the fucking car, and that car took off, and then the other guy that I was stupid enough to talk to and follow outside, like, he runs and jumps in another car, and these fucking cars take off, and there's all this commotion, and there's, at this point, like, the, the one of the security guards is talking on a walkie-talkie and the cops are getting called and it's all this fucking chaos and here comes Miss Bus Ticket Lady and she like wrapped me in her arms and she took me inside and I went back behind the counter with her and into this office and I'm like crying and not understanding and she's like hugging me telling me everything is okay and I told you not to go outside and I'm like I know I know 
you know, anyhow. And then the cops end up coming in and they're talking to me and I'm answering their questions as best as I could. Like I still tried to kept keep up the facade of being a 16 year old kid. And you know, the bus ticket lady, she knew that it was bullshit, but she let me keep that facade. So I tell the cops all of my stuff and, you know, they tell me like some steps and then they leave the office and they're like, you know, doing whatever it is they do. And I'm, I'm talking to the bus ticket lady and she's kind of giving me a little bit of education on where I fucked up and where I went wrong, but still being super cool about everything. And so like, I remember thinking like, holy fuck, like the world is a horribly scary place. Like I just almost fucking died. And I remember like, I thought about my mom and my stepdad and my dad and my siblings and all of this shit. And I was like, God damn, Cole, like that was the stupidest thing you could have fucking done in your entire life. Miss Busset Ticket Lady, uh, she ended up calling her husband and like she told him about the incident. Y'all, this man brought a hot meal for both her and I. We all, the three of us had dinner together and they waited for me while my bus came. Miss Bus Ticket Lady and her husband, I don't remember their names. I remember what she looked like. I remember her voice. I can see her smile. I cannot remember the, her name for the life of me. She bought a damn bus ticket to f- stay with me the rest of the way to Florida. So her husband brought us a hot meal, brought her a duffel bag of clothes. They bought a bus ticket. And she rode with me from Dallas-Fort Worth the rest of the way to Florida to make sure that I got there safe. She walked me. We got there. Like, I remember seeing my dad and my stepsister waving at me as we pulled in. And I pointed out, like, who they were. She walked me to my dad. She shook his hand and let him know, you know, like, hey... Uh, your daughter and I just so happened to be leaving from Phoenix and coming to Florida. So we became traveling buddies and I just wanted to walk her to you. I got her all the way to Florida safe and I wanted to make sure she made it to your, to you safe. She never told my dad what happened. My dad like shook her hand and thanked her. And it was just as quickly as we arrived and she told my dad, she just wanted to make sure I got to him safe. That quickly, I just completely forgot about this whole story. I never thought about it again or talked about it again until I was in my 20s and I saw some kind of news show or something on sex trafficking. It was like being introduced to us, like what it was. And as an adult in my 20s, thinking about the chain of events, like it kind of, it seems like that's what was about to happen to me. But thankfully, I'll never know. Like, I'll never know if I was going to be trafficked or if I was just going to be fucking murdered by a group of fucking men. What the fuck ever. I don't know. I just know that I did not die and that somebody was definitely looking out for me that day. For real. So again, like, think about it. How fucking crazy is it the shit we go through and survive And some of us, like myself, not even remembering something that fucking traumatic until something triggers it. I want you guys to remember whenever you send in your stories, make sure you let me know if you want me to use your name or not. So that way, just in case there's somebody that doesn't know your shit, that knows you personally, I'm not putting your shit out there like, hey, so-and-so said blah, 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 and then they almost died. So just make sure you let me know whether or not you want want your name in there or not. 
You can send those stories to me at Round the Cauldron Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. I'm super excited. I cannot wait to hear your stories. For those of you that haven't sent them in yet. Um, so now that I've completely fucked your head up with my little 13-year-old self being retarded to the world and possibly triggered your own traumatic fucking memory... Let's jump to the case of Austin Harif, also known as Austy Frosty. That was his online YouTube persona. He called himself Austy Frosty. Um, he was a Florida State University student and a member of the Alpha Delta Phi, fr- Delta Phi fraternity from Jupiter, Florida, who brutally murdered John Stevens, 59, and his wife, Michelle Michonne. 53, at their home in Jupiter, Florida, on August 15th, 2016. Now, from the outside looking in, Austin seemed to be a typical 19-year-old college student. He was an athlete, a good student, he had lots of friends, and by all accounts was really, really well-liked, popular, and loved. His social media pages were littered with the everyday postings, pictures and videos of a teenage boy and his YouTube channel reflected the same thing. Um, So what exactly happened to cause this seemingly normal young man to snap like he did? Let's start at the beginning. So Austin was born on December 21st, 1996 in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida to his parents, Wade and Mina Harif. Um, His father was a dentist and his mother was a pharmacist. Um, And Austin was really hoping to kind of follow in the family's footsteps and and enroll for um, pre-med at a four-year university and one day earn a doctorate. Um, He was a lover of art and science also. And he wrote in a journal entry one time, quote, that he loved science because it never stops even though I may not be great at it yet, end quote. Um, He took IB art classes in high school, getting all A's. He later told his mom that he could write music to make money when he got older. And while studying exercise science and participating in the Alpha Delta Phi fraternity, records show that he had no no uh, no prior behavioral incidents at all. Um, There was no disciplinary history for him at Florida State. He had a 3.2 GPA, and that is just shy of a B-plus average. At one point, he was working in a dentist office, and, I mean, everything really did seem normal. I mean, air quote normal. I I don't know. Um, In 2010, his parents did get a divorce, but according to family and friends, both families got along Um, Both of the parents had moved on with new partners and everything was really just, it was just good. It was a good, good place. Um, Wade Haruf, or Haruf, I'm sorry, it's spelled like Haruf. So it's like H-A-R-R-O-U-F-F. So I I keep fucking up how to say it, but y'all know me and how I am with names. So anyhow, uh, Austin's father, Wade, he... He said that his son was, quote, an extremely nice, gentle person who cared a lot about people. Then something just went drastically wrong. 
Now, shortly after the murders had happened, family members did tell investigators that Austin's behavior started to get like it was really erratic. He wasn't he wasn't really sleeping anymore. He, for some reason, began to really obsess about helping people. Um, his sisters told investigators that the day of the murder, uh, for no reason at all, he walked out in front of a car. Um, it was also reported by his sister and his friend that he had told them he was, quote, immortal and uh, half of a human, half horse. Uh, Davis Yates was a college friend of Austin's, and he said, quote, for people that don't know him, he seems kind of really odd to begin with. Another friend was quoted as saying that he was a goofy kid who liked to make people laugh. And when, you know, if you do go check out his YouTube channel, which I did upload some a couple of videos from his YouTube channel onto my Facebook. But if you happen to go look at his YouTube channel, like you definitely can tell in some of his videos where he is just really light on his feet. He, he, he's just he's a goofy kid. Like he talks in accents and he's got this this I don't know, this persona about him of just being a goofy, typical 19 year old kid. Um, his sister said that. He got, he started to like, he would say some really off the wall shit sometimes, but it, it wasn't anything that people that did not know him didn't expect from him. Now, her and Davis both agreed that his mo more recent behavior, like getting closer to, to the murders, it was really concerning to them. Austin also liked to write poems and, um, music and things. So inside of his notes app on his phone, he had a series of different poems and songs written. And most of them pertained to self-doubt and interests in improvement. He wrote, quote, some people have it all planned out, but me, man, I'm just filled with doubt. It's like sometimes I wish I was something more. In the months before the killings, records from Austin's phone's internet searches were things like common traits of great people, I want to do something so bad it hurts, how do I know I'm not crazy? There was a, a spot in there where he googled how to apply to become an Illuminati member, and he also googled exploding head syndrome. Now, that was a new term to me, so I Googled it because I Google everything I have a question about, and it's explained as a parasomnia sleep disorder defined by episodes that typically occur during the transition period between sleep and wakefulness. These episodes feature imagined sounds or sensations that create the perception of a loud explosion and possibly a flash of light in the sleeper's head. Now, Austin's family did have a lot of concern for his mental health before the murders had happened. Um, it was quoted that they had conversations about having Austin Baker acted and his dad did say at one point that he wasn't in, in contact with a psychologist, but unfortunately, his family just didn't follow through with anything or 
with getting him help for what whatever reason. Now, for those of you that aren't concerned, or I'm sorry, for those of you that aren't familiar with the term Baker Act, it's something that family members can do if they have concerns and worries for someone's mental health. And it allows healthcare professionals to detain the person in question for up to 72 hours. So that way they can be evaluated. Now, Austin's dad said on the Dr. Phil show um, that the family does have a history of mental illness, including schizophrenia. Austin's attorney, Nellie King, also said in a news release that her client does suffer from, quote, severe mental illness. Now, his YouTube channel, it does kind of give some insight into this kid and like what his personality was. But spoiler alert, if you go to check out his YouTube channel, he's not very good at rapping or singing at all. <laughs> like, but anyhow, in some videos, like he's talking about bodybuilding and personal trainers and other videos, he's just sticking around. Um, he did cover, like he cut shit. I almost dropped my laptop. Sorry if you guys heard that. Woo. That is made my heart go to my butt. Oh, okay. Whew, moving along. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing really on there that was like crazy bananas, but you can tell the closer to the murders that the, that you get with the videos, you can see that shit is really starting to go on in his head. And, you know, he was changing a little bit. Like, um, I was I was wondering about drugs and started looking into all of that stuff. And um, he was in college. He was a college fraternity kid. So he did like to party. He did like to have a good time. Um, there are there are there is some information out there that I read that he was that for a little while, like he got really heavy into drugs. Um, it didn't go really into full detail of exactly what he was doing or anything like that. There was, I found something that he at one point was mixing Adderall with another prescription drug. Um, but then he like decided to get sober. Like he just, he decided like, yo, this is not how I want to live my life. I need to do better. I want to do better. And he literally just quit doing everything altogether. So he was doing all this shit and then out of nowhere, like, boom, I'm just not going to do anything. And if, any of you are familiar with pres prescription drugs and um, the, the effects that they have on the mind and the body, it is not a good thing to stop taking prescription drugs, whether they're prescribed to you or not, just cold turkey. That's a bad fucking idea, man. Um, now, there were texts recovered from his phone that showed just days before the murders. He was texting someone about shrooms. Um, I found the text thread and I read it. But it was never confirmed if he, in fact, picked them up and did them or not. And whatever test there is to test for the uh, for shrooms in your system, like it wasn't available. So I, like, I really I don't fucking know, man. Um, I uploaded the text thread to Facebook and Instagram for you to go check out for yourselves. So go have a look. See, uh, hours before the murders, he did text someone saying, quote, I wish to be normal, just a normal guy, not too nice, not too mean, but I can still run because I can't be tamed, end quote. Another text that went out said, 
centaur. You are awoken. Don't let them kill you. So clearly there was something going on with the kid. And personally, I think it's fucking heartbreaking. And in no way am I trying to take away from the victims or their family and the absolute horrific fucking gruesome way that their lives were taken from them. I just really kind of feel like Austin was failed because the signs were there, but, but nobody in his family or any, I mean, nobody follow through with getting this kid some help or trying to figure out what was going on because clearly he was having some fucking issues, man. Now, Especially with his family's history of mental illness, I just, I just really kind of feel like if if somebody would have intervened some fucking where that this could have all the way been prevented, and two families never would have ended up losing people that they fucking love. So let's talk about the victims. John Stevens and Michelle Michonne or Michonne. Stevens. I know I'm probably saying her maiden name wrong. I'm sorry. I suck at names, guys. But John and Michelle were married in June of 1997, John having two children from a previous marriage. Now, for almost 10 years, the garage turned lounge in John and Michelle's home was the place where the, the friendly couple could entertain family and friends. Neighbors were always welcome to drop in and sit down on one of the couches if the door was open, and it usually was. They called their little chill space Garage Mahal. Like, how fucking cute and catchy is that? Like, I fucking love it. Now, Garage Mahal is where John threw a last-minute bachelor party for his son's best friend, and it was a place where family and friends gathered for fun and good times. Um, Michelle grew up in northern Miami Beach, and graduated from North Miami Beach Senior High School in 1981 before going to Florida State University. A childhood friend of hers, Barbara Kramer, said, quote, everyone graduate, grad, gravitated towards her. She was very, very popular. Um, a co-worker of hers at Northwestern Mutual Striano Financial Group in Boca Raton, where Michelle had worked for 15 years, said she was loved by everyone and cared deeply for everyone. She did her job incredibly and was instrumental in the growth of the firm. In addition to making sure everyone was doing the right thing on the job, she was also involved in charitable ca causes. Another one of her co-workers said that when her mother was diagnosed with lung cancer, that Michelle helped her form a team to take part in the American Lung Association's fight for air climb in downtown Miami. And that's where they like they climb a shit ton of stairs. She was always here or she was always there with a smile, the co-worker said. And when when they were doing the climb, uh, her co-worker said, quote, we were all tired, but she laughed and said, we did it. And, and like, that just, that just really shows you like how sweet and wonderful and caring of a person Michelle was. Now her husband, John, he was born and raised in South Miami Dade, and he graduated from Miami Killian High School. He liked to box as a hobby 
His son described him as an old soul who would read the newspaper every day. He said, quote, he would drive around Miami and tell you about how this used to be a field or how that used to be something else. Overall, his main thing was kindness. He would always tell me, whatever you do in life, if you're kind to people, you'll be successful. And I can tell you, my dad was very successful. In an interview with Ivy Stevens, John's daughter, um, she said that there were the usual weekends of fishing for dolphin out on the boat and nights sitting in the garage with her dad and Michelle. He'd have a cigar. Maybe Michelle would be dancing because it was Friday and they'd be headed to the square grouper soon with friends and family. Her dad would be cooking whatever they caught for the weekend and Michelle would be there to give advice. And she said for 14 years, that had kind of become like a weekend routine. And she remembers her dad as, quote, the true epidome of what you would think a retired Florida fisherman would be. He had a cigar in his mouth. He was always out either fishing or on the water. He was always tanned and he was, quote, the most hilarious person I've ever known, end quote. And even though Michelle was her stepmother, she said that she'd known her as her parent. She was uh, an advice giver, a financial advisor, and a confidant. And even with those memories, she said it's still hard to get past what happened to them at the home that the three of them shared together. In an interview that Ivy did, she said, I think it's nice for people to say, remember the good times, but when your parents die in such a manner, it's almost impossible. It's aggravating not to be able to remember someone happily because of the way they died, painful even. My hope is that one day when I think of them, I can veer my focus off the brutality of their murders and have happy memories instead. But I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Like, this is all so fucking heartbreaking. I could not imagine having to live through something like this where I've lost my parents or anybody that I love in the fucking manner that these poor people lost their fucking lives. Like, it's very clear that everyone involved was loved and cared for by their friends and family. And it's absolutely horribly fucking tragic that this gruesome murder even had to fucking take place. Like, my heart truly does break for everyone involved. Like, it's just fucking senseless. It is just fucking senseless. And this, my favorite Witches and Warlocks, is where I break the news to you that this is actually my very first two-part episode. <laughs> so you guys are going to have to come back for part two, where we will talk about the murder, how it happened, and the horribly gruesome events of August 15th, 2016. So Thank you all so much for joining me today in Gathering Round the Cauldron. Remember to send me those stories at Round the Cauldron Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Now, I've already uploaded some pictures and a couple videos from this case, so make sure that you check those out. And while you're there, go ahead and give me a rate and a review. Leave me some comments and share the shit out of my shit. Like, you guys are really, really awesome, and I really do truly love and appreciate all of you. Don't forget to come back for part two 
And as always, stay witchy, wonderful, and weird till next we gather round the cauldron.